0: hello everyone this is big read with another episode of gaming's lost memories this will be episode 9 and this is going to be our spooky cast where we talk about uh, some survival horror video games uh, and anything in that the scary genre uh, I just wanted to kind of highlight like a few memories I have and you know kind of my take on this but also... Uh, (laughs) one of the games in particular led me down a rabbit hole, which I kind of like completely forgot about. Um, So we'll probably go down the rabbit hole of story time with the game um, Eternal Darkness, which uh, if you're ever in the market for, you know, I think it's generation six is would would be the PS2 and GameCube. Wow, are there a lot of great games that came out during that time. But my goodness. Uh, You're going to be paying like a a pretty good price to find some of these retro games. I I think Eternal Darkness is going for like 100 to 120 bucks, and it's not even considered like super rare. (laughs) Uh, But I I remember the craziness of Eternal Darkness, Silicon Knights, the developer, and Dennis Dyak, who was like their CEO and founder. And I remember this at the time, but I think I forgot how absolutely nuts it was and like what happened with the studio and just the legacy of eternal darkness. So it kind of, it took me down a rabbit hole (laughs) where I have like five pages open. I was like, I completely forgot about all this. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, So we'll we'll kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the horror genre just in general. So there were definitely a lot of creepy And uh, scary games way before the original Resident Evil. But what I will say is the original Resident Evil, which came out mm, mid 90s, maybe 96, that kind of created the template for how the modern day survival horror or horror game is and will be. Now, there's been uh, some games, you know, recently um, like I think Outlast, everybody says that's terrifying. I am too afraid to play it. Um, but I would say 1996 Resident Evil comes out and that's kind of like your modern day template for what the survival horror or the scary game franchise, you know, will be. And one thing I will say, first and foremost, I don't know who else is like me out there. Um, I am terrified to play these games. Like they just absolutely get me every single time the, 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 the fear and the loneliness that you feel during these games. I I don't want to say helplessness, but in a lot of these situations, like you're, you're thrown in and you know, it, it feels like that. Like you, you are the one that has to get through this crazy situation, you know, whether it be emotionally or physically, you know, as you kind of guide the character through it. And, uh, it's probably my favorite genre to watch on Twitch. Actually, like all the resident evil speed runs, I throw Dark Souls in there, but hear me out, hear me out, because Dark Souls is definitely not a horror game, but they are so unbelievably creepy, and, like, you cannot feel more alone as you go through this, like, super dangerous environment, so it gives me a lot of, like, the same feelings, and uh, there is a lot of, like, creepy stuff happening, and I would say, for the Soulsborne series, Bloodborne kind of is, like, the creepiest slash scariest where there are just, like, horrible monsters, (laughs) Uh, but kind of getting back to it. Uh, it's a genre that I've just always been absolutely fascinated by. Um, and it, it's just so fun to watch it. It's really funny when you watch like, you know, people do speed runs of it because you're like, oh, this this I killed all these zombies. And they're like, I'm going to run around these zombies because I cannot be wasting ammo on this. And like the more you think of it, like that would kind of make sense. But could you imagine being like in a mansion and there's zombies running around and you're like, well, I'm just going to go in this door. And like you leave the zombies out there. (laughs) I'd be like, no, like we got to kill all these zombies as we go. Uh, But there's like so many just like. So one thing I will say. Our medium. In gaming. With this genre in particular. So the horror genre. I believe is significantly more effective because it's a video game. Than the other mediums, whether it be a book, a scary story, or a movie. So hear me out here. When you watch a scary movie, yes, it's definitely scary. Yes, after it's over and you're like, well, great, it's nighttime and now I'm alone and I have to go brush my teeth or get a shower and like, you know, <laughs> be alone in your house and you know the house is settling and making noises and you're like, well, something's gonna get me. Um, you just visually watch it and experience it. So yes, it is scary. Yes, it is creepy. There can be jump scares, but I think where video games really kind of knock it out of the park, and like we definitely, I feel like own this genre uh, in our community, is when you're playing it and you're in charge of like not you. So you're experiencing it, but like you got to get through the situation. So in a lot of like the movies, like scary movies and stuff, something's happening, and the protagonist will either get through it. Or it just has a terrible ending. And I mean terrible, not as in bad, like terrible as in, you know, nobody really makes it out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But it could even be like the original Alien, you know what I mean? Where like something's hunting them. It's a terrifying situation. And, you know, essentially like one person gets out of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So you watch it, though. So you kind of watch their journey. You're not them. With video games, you are them. Like it's up to you to get from point A to point B, wrap up this story and see what the conclusion is. But it's also like your job to survive, and it makes it so much creepier and so much scarier because like, <laughs> like they can get you. You know what I mean? That you have that feeling of like, okay, I might get got. <laughs> um, so uh, that's the first thing I kind of wanted to say is like, I think that's why the genre is so appealing and intriguing, because in the video game medium it's just significantly more effective. Everything feels, you know, scarier unless you're playing like in a room full of people with the lights on and it's like daytime, like, you know, and you're just running past everything because you've speed, you know, you've been speed running it like a hundred times a day, basically, uh, then it's just like terrifying. And uh, I remember just like certain parts of specific games where I'm like, okay, like I, I always come back to the genre and I'm like, let's do it this time we can do it. But I remember in one of the Resident Evils, uh, I feel like it was the original, the remake on the GameCube. Um, but there's it's it's early on you you get you find a dog whistle or something like that, and it comes with a note or has something like written, and it's like you know what to do. And you know, like you're in this creepy courtyard, everything sucks, everything's scary, everybody's a zombie. You're just like, and you you could not feel more alone. And I I think um, early Resident Evil what makes it more successful as being like a spooky game is you do feel like you need to get through this alone. Like occasionally you'll meet up with, you know, you know, Chris Redfield or, you know, Leon and two or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, we're fine. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's you and like whatever you kind of rummage through and find. And that's like your gear basically. So like you're thrown into a situation where you're not equipped to handle it. And it's like, okay, how do you survive? You know what I mean? Um, so, You know, I I have this whistle and I'm just like sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to blow this whistle because I know what happens when you blow a whistle and there's zombies everywhere and it's a dog whistle. And I know what happens when you blow a dog whistle, dogs show up. So, like, you go out, you know, on the balcony or whatever, blow the whistle and like zombie dogs come flying at you. And I'm just like, I hate this. And I think you kill one of them and get a key. And I'm just like, man (laughs) I don't want to be doing this it's so creepy so I don't know like I'm drawn to the the survival horror you know the the games and everything like that I'm drawn to them but uh, playing them is just something else entirely um but there were a few experiences like with that dog whistle um that just kind of like stick out so I don't know if you've ever had a memory where you're like it just Something specific happens and it sticks with you. Uh, there is a PC game called Sanitarium. It's like a point-and-click uh, horror game, um, and I, I didn't think I was going to be able to find what this game was called because I didn't even play it. Um, I was watching one of my buddies play, it and he was like a big PC gamer, and I'm just like, "You're in this like clock tower, and it's all like creepy and like." It's an asylum, I guess you would say. So, like, you already wake up under not-so-great circumstances. It's already spooky. Um, they, I remember, like, a guy beating his head against the wall, like this brick wall. And then what? the moment that really stuck out to me that I still remember after, like, 20 years is you go up and, like, talk to this person, and they say something creepy, and then they just throw themselves down the stairs and, like, fall in this pit and die. And I'm like, what is happening here? Like, what is this game? Why are you playing this? Um, but to go back to resident evil real quick resident evil 4 kind of i don't want to say like peaked i I would say it's arguably the most popular uh resident evil title and arguably the best one now hear me out because what happened is it turned into more of like an action game right so you're still surviving don't get me wrong; it's still creepy, um, but you have like way more, you know, weapons, ammunition. Um, you know, you, you're you find this village basically, and all the village just starts attacking you, and then you know different creatures kind of show up. So sim- similar, you know, Resident Evil fashion, um, and it definitely feels scary. But you're it feels like you're more well equipped to handle the situation. But also, there's a lot of situations where You know, you're being attacked by like a horde of zombies. So there's a lot of enemies. There's a lot of shooting. So it turned it into, I would still say it's survival horror, but it's a lot more actiony. And there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more stuff on the screen. So after that, with five, it kind of got a lot more actiony. And there's a a funny boss. Uh, I don't think it really spoils anything because it's like, here's a boss. It's dead. Um, but it, it's like a zombie bat caterpillar. And I just remember, cause I was playing it and my friend was playing it next to me on his console. Like we weren't playing together. I don't think at this time, maybe we were, maybe we we're, we're co-op it. Cause, uh, the fifth one was like big on co-op, but I just remember like, we're looking at it and he, like, we start cracking up and he's like, it's a caterpillar," pillar. And like, we're just like laughing our butts off. And in early like Resident Evils, I don't remember that, <laughs> but it seems like uh, they had some like a couple weird games in the middle. Six was really weird. I don't think anybody likes it. Uh, well, it's very actiony. It's very, it's it's an interesting game, but then seven and eight, they kind of get back to like this just terrible feeling of dread and loneliness and everything like that. So uh, I feel like the the horror genre. Is definitely having a resurgence. So you have your you know old school style, um, you know the point and clicks. Then you have like your more modern ones where, you know, you have your tank controls. You have your Resident Evil, Dino Crisis, you know, Silent Hills, very similar. So you have like those games which are all you know very good as well. Um, and then you have your more modern you know actiony ones. And I think, um, you know, they're doing a really good job with the genre because I, I feel like there's just more of a A market for it especially with PC so I think that's like one of the coolest things that like PC has going for it is there's such a large community and especially with you know Steam I think uh, I saw an article the other day where Steam hit like 30 million you know users or something like that which is absolutely insane so there's just a big market there um, it doesn't necessarily like have to start on a console now, uh, which is really nice because at, at this point, you know, the modern day consoles are basically just lower cost PCs. You know what I mean? Like they jam a lot of parts in it, but they're throwing Xbox, PlayStation on it. So I I can kind of like you know understand that. Um, but the genre just keeps drawing me back in. And another one that kind of sticks out to me is Condemned: Criminal Origins. <clears throat> another one where. I played it, but I watched it first. So I remember, you know, watching my friend <laughs> play it, and it's like uh, really creepy because everybody seems to be going crazy, and there's like a serial killer like out on the loose. And you're finding these games just have such a good job of making things so creepy. Like you're picking up dead birds because they're dying for some reason, so it's you know related to um, you know everything that's kind of happening with people. Um, it, violent. Uh, is one thing that I remember. Like you pick up a lot of uh, weapons, either pistols, shotguns, a lot of melee weapons, and you know they damage pretty quickly and like over time. So you're, it's like a really close quarters. You know things are jumping out at you and you're like bludgeoning them to death basically. Uh, but there's a really famous scene, and uh, I, I just remember you know watching this kind of play out. But as you're going through what appears to be some type of like shopping mall that just is vacant and zombies basically took it over is the only way to describe it and you're going through and like the screen keeps like flashing and everything like that because your main character is going crazy uh you know well understandably so of course uh but you know you go one way and then there's like you know all of a sudden there's like a mannequin in the way and you're like oh I'll turn around and then as you're like turning around you know, there's like more mannequins and then like you turn around again and you're just like surrounded by mannequins and going crazy. Um, and I just remember that happened in my buddy who was playing it, which I do not blame him. I do not blame him. Uh, it <laughs> scared the crap out of me too. Uh, but I just remember he like stuck his face behind me. It was like, whoa, <laughs> like, like diving away from like it happening on the screen. I was like, ah, I don't like this. Why is everything so scary? Uh, but once again, you know, I think the reason why we're kind of drawn to them is because of how much they pull you in and because you experience what the character is, you know, experiencing, so to speak. So, you know, the the character is going through this super crazy situation, but you are too, like you're living it through them essentially. But a game that, you know, also really sticks out to me. And anytime I think of this series, I, I know a lot of people, you know, will think of, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, which those are, those are the heavy hitters and dead space. I would even say dead space for like the more modern era. In fact, you know, just a quick side note, um, dead space is getting remade. I don't know how the hell they pulled that off because, you know, EA has a reputation of acquiring studios and then being like, okay, time to die. (laughs) No more creativity. Um, and listen, I come from a business background um, so occasionally, you know like on this podcast, you'll hear me talk about either game sales, revenue or, you know, it, it, really soon we're gonna kind of talk about the death of a studio <laughs> in a minute here. <clears throat> but I, I understand that that's one thing that's unique about our gaming industry is their products and their art. So it's like, okay, how do we get people to buy this? and how do we keep a healthy you know revenue model that allows us to continue making games? but also it's artists making it. So at the end of the day, there has to be an idea. There has to be something unique. There has to be something special. um, That's at the core of why you're developing a video game. And a lot of the times what will happen is you'll have a studio of artists or creators, you know what I mean? Or people that they need to be in a safe space to allow for the creativity to come out for ideas to be thrown out there. And, doing so in a way that if you're looking for you know how do we know this is going to be you know successful or how do we let me rephrase that how do we know this is going to be a good product well keep going back to the player so is this enjoyable does this enhance the gameplay experience does this enhance the game then we should do it if not you know like maybe we need to trim some of the fat and focus on like what the experience is and what are the good things about this game The flip side is a lot of the times studios will get bigger, right? And then they'll have somebody come in from a business perspective. And I think that's kind of what happened with Dead Space. It's like, okay, all right, we need more Dead Space games. Like, keep making them. Well, how do we appeal to a a larger audience? Well, maybe we make it more of an action game. Then by the third one, you have a game that's not selling well now because it deviated too far from the roots of what the experience was originally mixed with you know it's not selling well it's not a fun game or it's not as good as you know the, the other two games then you know they kind of it just dies so ea has a habit of you know kind of doing that with franchises and I, I hope it didn't happen to bioware but it really seems like it did uh okay but side note here um dead space silent hill 2 uh resident evil like there's so many games either being remade or getting sequels so i, I think you're going to see a resurgence Um, you know, in a lot of these titles. And I think Capcom being able to remake or excuse me, um, they're remaking four, but being able to go back to the spooky roots and with seven and eight resident evil, seven and eight, I think it basically showcased that you can do that. You can, you can keep your franchise true to its roots, but also make it grow. And I think Nintendo is like the, the prime example of all of this. Uh, It's absolutely insane that, you know, Zelda, Mario, Metroid, Pokemon are still crazy. Like they're the most popular they've ever been um, after 35 years. And just about all of those franchises except Pokemon. So it's, you got to be able to adapt and evolve, but stick to what makes your franchise successful or stick to what makes your game successful. And I think when you deviate from that, you kind of see, you know, people leave. They're like, well, now you have an experience that appeals to nobody because you tried to appeal to everybody. So you'll kind of hear me talk about, like, business, game sales and everything like that. That that pops up every once in a while because I, I understand, you know, I, I do view it as an art form. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, you, if you don't sell games... You can't exist. It just is what it is. Like if you if you <laughs> you got to be able to make a profit. You got to be able to have a revenue stream. You just it just has to happen. And that's just a, a a side effect of you know our our game industry. You know it's a product at the end of the day, right? It can be art too, but it's both. Um, yeah. So one game that kind of just took me down a rabbit hole because I I always think of Eternal Darkness on the Nintendo GameCube. A weird development story. A weird development studio, an odd release on a purple kids console, basically like the 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 GameCube had such a weird reputation at the time. So we'll talk about all of that. But then like everything that happened afterwards, too, is just so strange. So you end up just getting a once in a lifetime game release on a console that it shouldn't have existed on like everything's just like so weird about it and then you play the game and you're like oh my god this is so creepy so eternal darkness uh basically follows you know a main character i think her name is alex i actually don't recall it's been a while since i played it but uh she her, her uncle okay th- there will be minor spoilers here uh, very very minor um i will actually make sure i don't go into too much detail here Uh, But she ends up going to her uncle's house slash, you know, mansion kind of reminds you of like Resident Evil one, right? Um, She's pulled there for an event that happens. And once I'm not spoiling it, so she pulls it and eventually she finds the Tome of Eternal Darkness, which is like this book made of human skin. It's like super creepy. And it takes you through, you know, the history of all of these different stories involving these crazy ancient monsters that are trying to be like summoned into our realm or something like that. Right. So you play through a lot of different characters, uh, throughout history and they each have their own like different gameplay styles, different, you know, personalities, but it's like, Hey, here's all these characters and she reads it. The most intriguing thing about eternal darkness is it had something called sanity effects. So you had a green bar and as you see crazy stuff or see monsters or just like creepy stuff's happening, you're taking damage, like your character starts to go insane. So as your bar like lowers, um, different sanity effects can happen and they are actually just designed to mess with the player. You know what I mean? It's not good for the, the character either. Cause like, you know, you can die and stuff like that, but it makes the game so creepy because it's like doing weird things like pretending to, uh, delete your game save you know, pretending to change the channel on your TV, um, having bugs, you know, like run across your TV screen. Um, it, even small things, like soon as your sanity goes down, the the little the screen literally just like tilts at an angle. So it's like you have to like look at an angle. It's like designed to just make you uncomfortable. Uh, and then there's like other things that can happen. You know, like um, there's a scene which. It, It doesn't – this isn't a spoiler, uh, but it is definitely like a jump scare. Like she goes into the bathroom and you inspect the tub because it's like your your horror game in general where like you kind of like inspect everything. Like it's giving you like creepy words and stuff. But as soon as you do, there's a scream and it cuts to like her in a bathtub full of blood like dead. And then like you snap out of it and she's like shaking her head and she's like, this can't be happening. So like as you get crazier, the mansion starts getting creepier. Things happen to your character. It's just, it's one of the coolest experiences, you know, in a game. And I'm surprised um, it hasn't been utilized more. So I say that because I feel like it's a really solid. Thing now, I know Nintendo patented it, so maybe that's why. Like, maybe uh, like other companies like legally don't want to try to use it because Nintendo might sue them. But they patented it because it is so unique. And I I haven't really played or seen too many games that have this type of feature. Um, But it's just super interesting. Like uh, one of the scenes, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly. uh, Like you are in the main like area. And all of a sudden, you just hear like this pounding. It sounds the only way I could describe it is it sounds like a giant monster's like walking towards the mansion. It's like, kr, kr, kr. and then it like stops, and there's like a moment of silence. And you're like, uh, and then you just hear this like roar, and you're like, oh my god, like what is happening? Um, but I distinctly remember playing this game, and I'm in like the library area, and the statue busts. So, like, you know how there's like a bust of a statue, it's like from the chest up. Um, as you start like playing through the game they start like following you so like you'll walk by and they'll turn around like they'll turn their heads at you and stuff The paintings are like normal paintings and then as like things start getting worse and you start going crazy um, like the paintings will be of a sailboat where the sail is made of human skin and there's like this creepy looking like skeleton riding and you're just like what is happening but I distinctly remember I was playing one night. And I had this, like, lamp probably from, like, the 60s. Like, I don't even know where it came from. It was, like, a piece of crap. But I had my lamp on, and I'm, like, playing it by myself upstairs in the attic, and it's nighttime. And my the light bulb just, like, flashes. Like, it dims and comes back on. And I'm like, ugh. And I didn't want to get up. <laughs> and I continue playing, and then all of a sudden the light just, like, flickers again and goes out. And uh, so I'm, I'm, like, still sitting there. Now in the dark entirely, the lamp went out. I don't know why it went out. And I'm just like, ugh. Oh. And I, I walk up to one of the doors to open it. And it's just like, pow, 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 pow. And I'm like, oh my God. Like something on the other side just pounded on it. And I'm like, oh, I'm done. I got up, didn't even save, turned the GameCube off. I was like, I am out going downstairs. I got no light in here. Need to get out. <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. I will play this game in the morning. Um, so yeah, it was uh, r- really, really interesting experiences that... If Nintendo owns the patent, you know, like, I I don't know if you'll honestly ever see it again. You might might see, I feel like, other things that could happen, because that's such, like, a specific thing to patent that I feel like there would be a lot of ways to, you know, still do a similar effect, but in a different way that kind of, like, you know, avoids it. Um, But it definitely, I don't know, it just, like, creeped me out. Now, what's really interesting about Eternal Darkness is it was originally... Uh, going to be a Nintendo sixty four game, I believe. Yeah. So uh, one thing that's interesting, it being developed on the Nintendo sixty four. So it came out in two thousand two, uh, and it looks, it definitely looks like a GameCube game. Don't get me wrong. However, it looks like kind of a hybrid almost. Like it, it, it looks like a really clean and updated Nintendo sixty four game. In terms of like the anesthetic and like the the blocky graphics at, at certain points, um, so just such a, a, a weird thing to even have happened. So it was a Nintendo published M rated game too, which I find like really interesting because that just doesn't happen often. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was originally supposed to be on the Nintendo sixty four, comes to the GameCube didn't sell a lot, like it might have sold. I I would hope it would have sold over a million copies. Yeah, so I just uh, I just double checked uh, about less than half a million. So, uh, that's that's a tough one because at the time the Nintendo GameCube you know wasn't selling like hotcakes, like you could argue. Um, I wouldn't say it was an unsuccessful Nintendo console. But having come from the 64, it was so now you have you know Microsoft coming in with the Xbox. There's you know three different consoles out. Sega's gone, um, and it sold 18 million. So I think the 64 sold for like 36 million, 35 million, something like that. But long story short, um, game comes out. Nintendo and Silicon Knights worked very closely on this. Nintendo publishes it. They own the IP. They own they own everything. Right. So. It's it's not successful. So this is kind of where you know things get really weird because I remember at the time, the you know, uh, the creator of Silicon Knights um, being a very interesting character. So I don't want to like talk about him too much, but he it seems like especially at the time, and re- it might be a little bit different in retrospective, but he really, I feel like he believed in his studio and he believed in the stuff that they were creating maybe to a fault, like to a point where he might think that it's more than what it really is. Um, it might put the studio in, you know, harm's way to, to keep that belief. Um, so this is where it gets like really crazy. So them and Nintendo, you know, not working together anymore. Right. And I forgot too. Um, the reason why this studio was so hyped at the time. So from Nintendo fanboy perspectives, you have an exclusive in eternal darkness for the GameCube. So it's like, boom, we got a mature game. It's awesome. It's super creative. Like, this is great. Uh, but I forgot about metal, metal gear, solid twin snakes. So they also worked on the development of that, which was basically taking, it basically turned the original metal gear solid. D- don't tell me why this was a, a Nintendo GameCube exclusive. Uh, that's like, a, I feel like another topic that I'd have to research a little bit. Cause I, I have an idea and I think it was because Shiggy told Kojima or asked him like, Hey, it'd be great to have metal gear solid on, you know, N- Nintendo. That'd be great. Uh, but long story short, <clears throat> they remade the original metal gear solid as a GameCube exclusive with the Metal Gear Solid 2 enhancements, basically, so it, it looked like Metal Gear Solid 2, so that's a controversial game in and of itself, but you look at the studio, and you have, like, an outspoken, you know, uh CEO or leader, like, whatever you would want to call him, and you have two, like, games, Nintendo exclusive, that you're just like, man, from a from a Nintendo fanboy perspective, you're like, this is this is awesome. Like this studio can do no wrong. It's almost like retro game studios where you kind of like latch on to like a kind of middle, like a mid tier in size, like game studio that just like is super punching above their weight. So they have two amazing games, right? And they have their exclusivity with Nintendo. Then they end it. And I I remember this being like crazy. Like I, I I feel like I remember Dennis Dyack just being like completely wild. Like, Oh, whatever. We're going to go here. We're going to go do this. And then there's this game called Too Human, right? So this is kind of what led me down the rabbit hole. Uh, I don't know if anyone even remembers this, but this was like another ultra uh, hyped up game as well. So Too Human was another one of those games where the hype for whatever the hell it was, was like unreal. So it was originally gonna be a PlayStation game and then they were working with Nintendo. So it was gonna be a GameCube game. And I remember early images like this is something I'm gonna have to like go and uh, try to find but I remember early uh, images of like this just weird looking interesting game and so it, it's already bouncing around so you kind of get stuck in what's considered development hell um, and and you don't want to <laughs> development hell is when something's going wrong or you're sitting on a project it's taking way too much it's taking way too much time something's happening with you know happening with the development where it's just like you're making it but it's not working out really well or you know you are going significantly over budget and now the game's at risk of just being scrapped entirely it's like hey we need 50 million to make this and you're like uh we spent it all and we only have like half the game Uh uh-oh like what do we do here so you don't want to get stuck there and having spanned across three different platforms you know it pretty much has it, it, it reached that point so, it, this was just such an interesting time, because I remember how unbelievably, it was like one of the most hyped games like I could ever remember, because at first it was you know going to be on the PlayStation, then like boom, Nintendo fans are like, oh, snap, two humans going to come out, we're going to have this awesome game, but it just kept getting stretched out. So, that leads me to believe, if my memory serves correctly, they were, they were experiencing issues trying to develop it. So, it was going to come out, and eventually came out on the Xbox 360. So this is where things get, like, absolutely crazy. So everybody pretty much knows that a lot of game studios use Unreal Engine 3. So Epic Games created a game engine. Jeez, uh, I don't even know how many, how high up it is now, but Unreal Engine 3. Um, and so many games of that era, you know, on the Xbox 360, PS3 era, have that look um, where you, you could tell if they were using Unreal Engine 3. But for whatever reason, like, so many people did. So that that's, like, the good thing. But also keep in mind that with Unreal Engine 3, you know, it was, like, finalized and really, like, figured out um, b- basically by Epic as they designed Gears of War. But around the time of, like, the Xbox 360, PS3. So Dennis Dyack, very passionate, you know, very passionate, very interesting person. Um I think sometimes maybe believes more in what you know his studio was capable of at the time. And once again, their partnership with Nintendo is done. Keep in mind, once again, Shigeru Miyamoto was a producer of Eternal Darkness. Uh, and I think of the Twin Snakes, oddly enough. But to be working with Nintendo and working with some of the best game developers out there... Uh, A lot of people kind of described it as like they were being babysat and like kind of shown how to like make like fix up your product. You know what I mean? So you have your game. Okay, here's how we fix it up to make it a more playable user experience. So like when you release the product, you can stand behind that quote unquote Nintendo seal of quality. And I remember at the time I I should have looked more of this up. Him not being so positive about that Nintendo, uh, you know, exclusive deal that they had and everything like that, and kind of being like, Well, pff, like, we're past that. So, here's where it gets absolutely crazy because I feel like everybody just forgot about Silicon Knights and for good reason, like, they don't exist anymore. But, too human, unbelievably hyped up, moves to the Xbox 360. This game has been being developed for like 10 or 12 years at this point you know with the early prototype builds being for like the original playstation so just think you know from from your own perspective working on a game on the playstation one then going to the next generation then going to the following generation so like you're dealing with three different generations of technology and the same experience like yeah it's it's not going to be good It, it it might have been easier if this happened in like the last five years where the jumps in technology haven't been as crazy. But you go from the birth of basically, you know, 3D graphics into it being figured out and then, you know, perfected in terms of like HD. So you literally went from 3D graphics exist, you know, in the middle ground and then boom, now we got HD graphics as well. So I couldn't even imagine like trying to lead a team through that. And saying, okay, hey, now we're going to another, you know, game engine and we're going to another uh, console, like our third console on the same project. But it just it keeps getting like even (laughs) crazier here uh, because then there were pieces uh, written about, you know, Dennis Dyack, one of the founders or pretty much like the main guy. I feel like he became kind of like the mouthpiece for Silicon Knights. Uh, But the, you know, piece came out that he was mistreating employees and everything like that. So I I think he's, you know, contended against that. But it just seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And the best, healthiest time for, like, his career um, was during that partnership with Nintendo. Now, one thing I will say is working with Nintendo is probably, like, a huge pain in the butt. Um, They are... They are notorious for even if something is popular, if it doesn't sell well enough, like they'll just move away from it. Um, and, and I think they're somewhat like perfectionists, not saying every game they make is good, but I think it's very clear, like when they're working on, you know, their hardware, they want that experience to be as flawless and seamless as it possibly can be. And there's other developers that will kind of be like, well, release it as it is. You know what I mean? Like, we're, it's this is fine. Um, so, okay. Two human hyped up. I I remember, uh, one of my friends in the military, he he was a big, uh, Xbox 360. Well, actually he liked PlayStation, but the Xbox 360 was just like so much better (laughs) at the time than the PS3 that like basically everyone just owned one, uh, between the two. So he's like, you know, getting hyped for it. Everybody's downloading the demos and everything like that. And it ended up being, I, I don't think it ended up even being a game That was what it was supposed to originally be like the, I remember the original seeming like a shooter, like a a shooter type game or something like that. And it ended up being like this weird, like Norse mythology, futuristic Viking game. I don't even know how you would describe it. It was so odd. Um, But here's where it gets crazy. And and this is why, you know, we're going down the, the spooky game path. But also, like, probably why Eternal Darkness, we're never going to ever, ever, ever see a sequel. (laughs) Um, Two human launches. They, Silicon Knights, sued Epic Games. And this is where it gets really crazy. And maybe, you know, looking back, if you're struggling on making something or you're working with you know, a game engine or you sign a deal. So basically what happened is they signed a licensing deal with Epic to say like, Hey, so like if you're creating a game and you license, you know, the engine through Epic, you would pay them licensing fees and you're going to, you know, I'm going to make my, my game, my shiny new video game with this engine. But if you're going to make a sequel, you know, or make another game, like you'd have to, either redo that license or you know include hey we're going to make three titles so we're going to sign a licensing deal if you give us you know like a good deal on three titles like would it be cheaper you know if we agreed to make three titles with your engine so unreal engine 3 was still wasn't a hundred percent at the time because epic games they're making gears of war you know what i mean and so they're still like figuring some things out so long story short Dennis Dyack, Silicon Knights, they sue Epic Games, basically claiming, hey, your game engine's absolutely terrible. Um, you promised it would be this. You promised it would be that. We're going to sue you. Now, lawsuits with big companies, litigation can take a long time, and it can also be detrimental because if you, if you sue another company claiming this, you're seeking essentially damages and and lost revenue for like what you're experiencing so essentially I think what was happening is they were just struggling I I think they left Nintendo they were happy I think they were happy to leave Nintendo like I I remember the sentiment being like see you later like we don't have to be exclusive with you anymore we're gonna go you know we're gonna go hang out with our hot new girlfriend slash boyfriend Microsoft's gonna treat us right And, and Microsoft I'm assuming did treat them right actually but I think the belief in the studio was way more powerful than what the studio was capable of. And when you're sitting next to Nintendo and, you know, some of their biggest... Shigeru Miyamoto is arguably, like, the greatest game creator of all time. You know, pound for pound. uh, Mario, Zelda, a billion other things. Uh, Sometimes I feel like he's probably too influential and famous for his own good. You know, I couldn't imagine him coming into a room full of... You know, Nintendo employees, I'd be like, uh anything he says, we're going to do. And you, you don't want that type of power, but that kind of happens after you just are so unbelievably successful for like over 30 years. Like you're the reason why, like, you know, the Wii was successful, like all of Nintendo's big stuff. So being with such a strong developer and the strong personalities is like such a good learning experience. And it's guided too. So you're you're in a safe zone, you know what I mean? And when you go out on your own, you have to be 100% in charge. You can't lean on, you know, that other company anymore to kind of create your product. So what I think what's happening is the development of Two Human was going extremely poorly across three, three generations. I think they were just having trouble figuring out what the heck they wanted the product to even be. Um, but saying all of that, they sue – Epic Epic's like, uh, hold my beer. They counter sue and they counter sue that like, you know, Hey, they broke all these agreements, et cetera, et cetera. What ends up happening? And this is kind of like the, the high level version is they win the countersuit, And it was originally for like four and a half million dollars. That's bad. That's a, that's a lot of money. Like when you're not selling games <laughs> and, uh, you know, all this bad stuff is happening. Well, here's the other thing during all this litigation, it was found out that Silicon Knights was kind of like stealing their code and mixing their code in with their own like engine code. So, oh my God, like not only did they break the licensing agreements, um, but they were caught stealing code from the Unreal Engine 3 to put into their code. So I can't even imagine like why you would think that would be okay. Uh, But they did it. And uh, due to like all the lawyers fees and all of that, um, they ended up awarding uh, Epic Games like $9 million. So it completely blew up in their faces, and here's what else came of that, and why you're probably never going to see another Eternal Darkness game. All of their games that were currently being sold to Human, you know, whatever they were doing, like a side X Men game or something like that. So to Human, they had to destroy all existing copies because they were they had it had stolen code. They were made with stolen intellectual property from Epic Games, so they couldn't sell the game anymore. They had to destroy it. So it's like your your biggest most hyped game of all time. You can't even, you're not even legally allowed to sell anymore, and they had to destroy any games they were making with it. Uh, I think one of the other things they were kind of like caught doing was they agreed to make another game with Sega, and were using Unreal Engine three, but didn't have the license to do it. So it's just like they sued, and what I believe probably because things weren't going well. So it was like, well, we're awesome. It must be this. And they just opened a can of worms, and they were found to be doing a lot of terrible things. So, Silicon Knights—they're gone. They, You know, they filed for bankruptcy. They kind of shut down. It's actually kind of sad because Eternal Darkness is such an incredible game. You know, like I really, I really do like it. It's my favorite like horror game ever. Uh, they go to start another game with uh, one of the other Silicon Knights employees, and. Um, I think they were trying to make a spiritual successor. So it looks like it's called shadows of the eternals. So they were trying to get that. And then, uh, something happened with one of the other co-founders. Uh, there's a lot of, I'm not even going to say what it is, but if you look it up, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I think he was charged with, you know, some really, really terrible things. So that died down. <laughs> then they tried it again, I think with a, another company to try to get, you know, uh, the shadows of the eternal, so the, the spiritual successor to eternal darkness uh couldn't reach the the amounts. It was just it's too much, you know, like you're you're trying to you're trying to do anything and everything to like be creative and do what you want to do, but you there's just that long history of turmoil You know, accusations of abusing employees, like legal theft of Unreal Engine 3 code, you know, shutting down a business. Like as all of this stuff happens, large publishers are going to be extremely hesitant to work with you because they know based upon the history of like over promising, under delivering legal issues, shutting studios down. It just makes it really difficult to, you know, be like, okay, you know what, I'm going to take 10 million dollars or 15 million dollars and let's let's work with something. And then you end up doing something like, you know, GoFundMe or one of those like crowdsourcing, you know, funding campaigns to do it yourself, then you're relying on just like, hopefully we can get funding for this. Like you're crossing your fingers because you're not going to get it from one source. You might get it from hundreds of thousands of sources, you know, kicking in 10 bucks here and there. So shockingly enough, I know we went down that rabbit hole. Nintendo keeps renewing. The eternal darkness, you know, intellectual property and like trademarks and all of that stuff, which is absolutely fascinating. I think they should, too. I think they should do it forever because <laughs> I, I wouldn't want, you know, any of that to lapse or anything like that. I, I would want to keep it because um, I, I do feel like they could do something with the sanity effects with that intellectual property. Uh, they have Nintendo has like so many internal studios to where I think from a survival horror standpoint, there's a lot of depth. And you know, there's enough that is interesting there to make another game, and I think it could be successful with the Nintendo Switch. But uh, that kind of takes us down the rabbit hole because I remember as all of this was happening at the time, like there would be a new you know interview with Dennis Diack, and you know everybody would have their strong opinion on him one way or another, and it was just so crazy. It felt like they did intentionally leave Nintendo, but I'd have to go back and you know listen to some. Interviews, but that was like the, the feeling at the time. It was like, we're leaving. You know, I, I don't want to work with you anymore. You're annoying. You know, let's go somewhere else. And then literally all hell broke loose and everything like just fell apart. Um, and because of that, you know, we might not get another title because uh, it's been 20 years since so 2002, 12. Yeah. Yeah. It's been uh, 20 years. So uh, I, I would say it's not very likely at this point. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, to to kind of wrap up, if you haven't played Eternal Darkness and you can, holy smokes, find a way to play it. I I do love that game. That's probably my favorite overall horror game. Um, But, you know, one thing I'll reiterate is the horror franchise or excuse me, the horror genre, survival horror, whatever you want to, you know, spooky games. um, It's. I feel like it's best experienced through the, the medium of video games. I feel like that's just one genre that, you know, movies can't touch us on. Uh, you might say like story-based, you know, um, you know receiving a story. I, I think you could argue that it's maybe better in a movie, um, but experiencing like horror effects and just surviving through what a scary movie would be is so much scarier when you're in control and, you know, completely by yourself. Um, But that'll wrap up this episode of gaming's lost memories. I'm your host, Big Reed. Uh, So the podcast is now available on every single platform, basically. So you know, like, subscribe, uh, follow me um, as well. And I'm going to aim to, you know, have a podcast out a couple times a week. And then as I get a little bit busier, we'll do it, you know, like uh, weekly. Um, But also, uh, if you you know leave a, a note or a review or anything like that, I, I take requests too, because there's a lot of topics that are really fun to talk about. Uh, but thank you so much. I'm Big Reed, your host of Gaming's Lost Memories, and I appreciate you listening. Thank you.